a lot of people that work in social enterprise, whatever specific model or legal form, they, I think, have, they've got a unique skill set. They're able to harmonise money and mission. Yeah. But this is actually harder than we sometimes think. And it's really the biggest overarching tension that those in the field experience on a regular basis. Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Thanks for listening to episode 215 of Impact Boom. My name's Tom Allen, and I'm passionate about bringing the latest interviews and insights to help you create positive social impact. Today, we're speaking with Nina Yusufpour. Nina manages Social Traders National Certification of Social Enterprises. Social Traders Certification is a globally leading social enterprise certification that offers independent verification of a social enterprise's status. It's focused on elevating social enterprise as businesses that can respond to complex social issues and in particular to the social procurement marketplace that's looking to increase positive social impact through buying products and services from social enterprise. Nina has a wealth of sector experience, having worked in the Australian and Canadian social enterprise ecosystems over the last 10 years. She's worked to support social enterprises through business advisory and education, impact investing, leading sector research, and SROI evaluation. She has a deep understanding of what makes a social enterprise and their significant contribution to their beneficiaries, customers, and policymakers, as well as the ecosystems that help them thrive. So on today's podcast, we'll discuss reaching underserved markets through social enterprise and safeguarding their businesses for their important role on the road to recovery post-COVID. We'll talk a little bit about recent social traders' research findings, and we'll also discuss some market opportunities for social enterprises in Australia. So Nina, it's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks, Tom. Pleasure talking with you. So Nina, to kick things off, I'm curious to hear a little bit more about your background and what led to your passion in social enterprise. Yeah, so my family came to Australia when I was very young, basically leaving non-ideal circumstances in their home country. Mm. And we always talked about social justice issues in the home, at the dinner table, in front of the news, basically all the time. Yeah. And I guess I got to a point where I struggled to see myself doing anything that didn't contribute to those issues in some way. Mm. There was a period where I actually almost went to acting school before I decided to study business. And this eventually led me to working with Joe Barraquette on leading social enterprise research in Australia when she was actually still here in Brisbane. Mm. And from here, I moved on to work in impact investing still in Brisbane, which at the time was actually called social investment. And there I met a team of people, I guess, who really transformed and shaped a lot of my thinking around the work that we do in relation to social enterprise. Mm. After this, I embarked on a professional adventure to Canada, where I led on the evaluation for the Ontario Government Social Enterprise Fund, which was part of their second social enterprise strategy, actually. And 
this was a really great opportunity to get a bird's eye view of the ecosystem in a similar but still different context. Yeah. And after this, I came back to Australia, to Melbourne, and reconnected with Social Traders where I am now. And I've undertaken a couple of roles here with my focus currently being on certification. So throughout this time, I guess I've worked with many different social enterprises in different capacities, and it's been really great to see the transformation of this space. Mm. And sometimes I find myself having old conversations, which I actually realise is a good thing because it means new people and organisations are entering into social enterprise. But then there's also conversations which have moved so, so far over the last decade. So whereas in the past we much more so would have been talking about what is a social enterprise, we're now talking about how robust the sector is and things like what preferred procurement panel a social enterprise is now sitting on Mm. as the market looks to buy more from them. Yeah. And through all this, I guess one of the things that I'm really keen on seeing is an even playing field for social enterprises. It's easy sometimes to have much higher and sometimes strange expectations of them. And I think these are cultural and ideological challenges that are improving but still exist and sometimes dictate the way that they're supported. And really, I think I'm lucky to have worked in places and with people that I feel have approached this work in a meaningful way for Mm. the sector. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's a wealth of experience there, Nina, and it's great to hear about your work in Canada as well, which obviously had a large influence on on where you are today too. You mentioned your role as the Social Enterprise Certification Manager at Social Traders. So can you please tell us a little bit more about the work you do there and also to what criteria you certify social enterprises? Yeah, so social trader certification is about elevating social enterprises in a marketplace that is now signalling it's taking social enterprise seriously. And it's important to say that social enterprises actually seek certification for a variety of different reasons, but I guess our focus at social traders is to build the market of customers for social enterprises, in particular business and government customers. So certification really serves as this third-party verification of an organisation's social enterprise status in the marketplace that we're building. And what it does say is that, yes, this organisation is operating to deliberately and primarily solve a specific social or environmental issue through its commercial activity. And, you know, on the one hand, I have this aspirational vision sometimes that one day everything will become a social enterprise. But then on the other hand, we know that there are these really complex social issues, including things like long-term unemployment, systemic exclusion of certain populations, the challenges facing our environment. And I could go on. And these are all underserved areas of society that a lot of the time require tailored solutions that are more than just a nice to have social or environmental activity on the side. Mm. And as we move further into this age of information or the digital age, whatever you want to call it, we know there'll be many opportunities, but we also know that tech can be a very extractive industry. And from this, I think there'll be new forms of exclusion and underserved population as technology develops. And so social enterprise is recognised as one way to address some of these issues and target depleted areas of our society through using the tools of the market. 
And now the following example isn't necessarily representative of all social enterprises because their missions are diverse, but there was a study done about three or four years ago on social enterprises that employ people with a disability. Mm. The study spoke to the people themselves and asked them about their various employment experiences. And so between mainstream businesses, a model that we call sheltered workshops and social enterprises, people said they most preferred to work in a social enterprise and that's where they had their most meaningful and sustainable work experiences. Mm, So I guess when we certify a social enterprise, these are some of the things that we take into consideration, but generally wrap up into three criteria. So the first is that the main reason the organisation exists is to solve a social, cultural or environmental issue. So there's primacy of purpose. The second is that it trades to to meet this mission. So it does have a substantial business and commercial activity behind it. And the third is where the first two criteria really come to a head. And that's that financially the organisation operates in a way so that public or community benefit outweighs private benefit. Mm. And the sector is very diverse. It's made up of organizations of all different ownership models and legal forms we've got group structures that we look at even organizations that are transitioning from a mainstream business to a social enterprise which is really great to see Mm. but because of this complexity I guess we're guided by our advisory group and that has representatives on it from Minter Ellison, Ernst & Young and also our sister organization in New Zealand the Akina Foundation which also certifies social enterprises. Mm. Yeah. There's some amazing work happening in that space and it's been great to see social traders over the years in Australia really actively contribute to to growing and supporting the movement. You've been a very important part here in Australia and we've previously spoken to, to Mark Daniels and David Brooks on the podcast too. Yeah. So you've worked with a broad range of social enterprises at different stages of development, Nina. So where do you see inherent tensions lying in operating a social enterprise? Yeah, it's definitely a good question. And a lot of people that work in social enterprise, whatever specific model or legal form, they, I think they've got a unique skill set. They're able to harmonise money and mission. But this is actually harder than we sometimes think. And it's really the biggest overarching tension that those in the field experience on a regular basis. Mm. So, Anyone, you know, who works in this space will also appreciate that there's a whole range of things that stem from this overarching money mission challenge, including things like thinking about your customers versus beneficiaries, social impact metrics versus profitability metrics, competitors versus partners, social contributions that are broad versus those that are deep, ethical versus low-cost supply chains. And again, I could go on. And In some ways, what results from managing these tensions is the social capital that social enterprises build through that work. Mm. But there are also some of the things that keep us all up at night. I'm sure you'd probably appreciate that as well, Tom. There's actually been a great piece in Pro Bono recently crafted by Social Traders Head of Marketing that really reminded me of these tensions Mm. and why we choose to support social enterprises in the way that we do. And it very much influences how we approach certification as well. Yeah, absolutely. Nina, we're talking in early June of 2020, right? And we're, we're sort of starting to see government restrictions 
you open up a little bit now in this time of COVID-19, right? We've also seen a lot of social enterprises have to, to pivot or pirouette, as they may say. And this has brought a whole heap of unique issues for social enterprises. So the government's provided these stimulus packages and seen a bunch of different sort of support mechanisms come out over the past couple of months. But where have you seen social enterprises falling through the gaps and where and how can we best support them moving forward? Yeah, so this is really interesting because as a social enterprise, when you're balancing some of the tensions that I mentioned, Mm. there's a whole lot of gaps when it comes to what we're currently going through and some of the stimulus packages. But I should say that JobKeeper has been a lifeline for Mm. a lot of businesses and social enterprises included. But I guess we ran a survey at the height of the lockdown and since we've also formally interviewed 20 social enterprises and we'll actually be running another survey very soon given that things have changed quite a bit with the various packages that have come online and restrictions being eased now as well. But I guess it's no mystery, but really there's a need to safeguard their businesses, safeguard being the key word, and to make sure that the social capital that they've invested so heavily in over years, if not decades, is there to actually play its part in catching the fallout from COVID. Mm. But they've got some interesting hurdles to get there. So, for example, at the peak of all of this, social enterprises, a lot of them that were creating employment for people with a disability, had to actually send their people home because of greater health risks um, associated with COVID. And in a lot of these scenarios, work couldn't be done at home. So even the concept of pivoting the business didn't make sense. Yeah. Some social enterprises, they provide training and support for people under a period of 12 months because they're aiming to transition them into the mainstream employment market. So this under 12 months automatically doesn't meet the JobKeeper criteria. And similarly, refugees and migrants also don't qualify as well. So those working with those cohorts struggle in a different way. There's others who are working with people in the justice system, for example, so they can't even connect with their cohort. And once they can, they'll need to start the process of work with them again, and this has got costs associated with it. Mm. I won't go into too much detail on arts organisations because I think it's fairly self-explanatory, the challenges that they've had, which, you know, are probably some of the longest challenges through this period. Absolutely. But, you know, for some who are dealing with vulnerable populations, I guess complete hibernation is actually really hard to do because they need and want to keep their beneficiary cohorts engaged in some way. And so something else we're actually seeing is social enterprises going back to community partnerships. So, for example, where they may have had a restaurant and catering business, they're now partnering with charities to provide meals to marginalised communities. Mm. So I think this is actually a sign of their resilience and their ability to leverage the social capital that they build and their networks. But the trick, I guess, is the transition back to their commercial activity and what the circumstances will allow. Yeah. And there's there's effort associated with this. Yeah. But it's a resilient sector and there's so much impetus for them to keep innovating and moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that really leads us into looking at the movement as a whole and, and where there's been momentum 
and significant momentum gathering in Australia, I'd argue, uh, particularly probably in the last few years, right? So where do you see strong opportunities, Nina, for this social enterprise sector in Australia? And what do you believe is needed to build on this, this current momentum that we're experiencing? I mean, even last week, we heard of the, the official launch of the Alliance of Social Enterprise Networks of Australia, which is the formation of this alliance between different state-based networks. So that itself was really exciting news. Yeah, absolutely. And look, there are so many individuals now doing really amazing work in this space. And I think this is now the time to be loud about social enterprises, particularly in response to to the fallout from COVID. So it's really an opportunity to kind of feature in the hearts and minds of decision makers in this country. But I guess, you know, our focus specifically is on building market opportunities for social enterprises. And there are definitely some opportunities that are going to come out of this situation. And so we specifically work with business and government who are looking at giving procurement contracts to social enterprises. And very simplistically, this is what we call social procurement. So we've had various catalyzing policy developments in Australia. For example, Victorian government strategy and targets around social procurement. The Queensland social enterprise strategy has emphasised social procurement within it and states like New South Wales and South Australia are thinking along similar lines. And this isn't going away. But at the same time, it's important to keep in mind that no one, including business and government, are not going untouched through this and Mm. different industries have been impacted in different ways. So compare higher education to the banking sector, for example. But what we're still seeing is that a lot of our business and government members are genuinely concerned about social enterprises. They're very aware of the struggle of businesses in their supply chains Mm. and they've been eager to understand how they can help. And our message to them is buy from social enterprises now. So a lot of them have still identified that there's a need to keep creating value for multiple stakeholders through purchasing. Mm. And in particular, the procurement practice itself has actually recognised that with so many people now unemployed through COVID, driving employment policy and social value through social procurement is an opportunity. And this is obviously an area where social enterprises can play. So when business and government actually, when they purchase from or or businesses, their first responsibility is actually to secure supply rather than simply get the best price. Mm. And we've all heard the conversations about local supply issues and the need for countries, including Australia, to be more self-sufficient. So again, this is value that social enterprises can deliver. We actually just ran a couple of events providing insights into the market demand for social procurement. One of those listeners may or may not miss, depending on uh, when the podcast is released, but was in partnership with the Westpac Foundation and Social Impact Hub. Mm. And we'll be looking to do more of this kind of thing as the opportunities do evolve. So one last thing to mention is that over the coming years, we're going to see huge investment into infrastructure to boost the economy. So most states have already released a schedule of projects. Yes. And we're really keen to continue seeing purchasing from social enterprises as a result of them. Yeah. And it would feel like a lost opportunity for them not to be procuring socially uh, in those big infrastructure projects that will undoubtedly to unfold, right? Absolutely, yeah. 
So, Nina, this is probably like asking a, a mother or a father who their favourite child is, considering you work with so many different social enterprises, but what inspiring projects or initiatives have you come across recently which you believe are creating some really good positive social impact? Yeah, look, this is always a hard one. The obvious one is the innovation social enterprises are undergoing. There's so much impetus to safeguard their communities and keep peace that social capital that I've mentioned um, that they've invested so heavily in. But I did want to mention a COVID-free example, Duration. And that's of Green Fox Studios, which is a creative agency social enterprise in Queensland that provides work and training opportunities for people inside justice system. Mm. And when they became certified, they attended one of our networking events where we connect social enterprises with our business and government members. And from that, one of our members approached them to pitch for work. And they've now established this really strong business relationship. There was another member that also approached them and they're now a preferred agency for digital and creative work for them. Mm. But on top of this, at one of the networking events, they also connected with a Victorian social enterprise, Goodwill Wine, who sells wine to donate to a range of charities and their causes. And Goodwill Wine actually flew up to Brisbane and visited the prison studio where a lot of the creative work is carried out. And there's actually a really interesting piece that Goodwill Wine has put together on the recount of this experience. And so now Goodwill Wine are a customer of Green Foxes and Mm. they've just recently launched a new animation created by Green Fox and the team. So I think this is just a really great example of the connections that can be made through the marketplace that we're building. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm really, really happy that you mentioned Green Fox, Nina, because um, yeah. as you well and fully know, you know, they've been been working so hard on our Elevate Plus Accelerator program over the last 20-odd weeks. And Amanda and Kelly are, are both very inspirational founders. And the audience actually has an opportunity to connect with them at our upcoming digital pitch event on on July 14. So feel yeah. free to head to the Impact Boom website to get the details and register for that. But such a great and strong initiative there and, and a great example of the value of social traders and what you provide in the, in the connections too. So Yeah, Nina, I think, look, they've put a lot of work into what they're doing and we're super excited about the Elevate event on, on July 14th. Absolutely. So to finish off then, Nina, really keen to hear about some books that you'd recommend to our listeners. Well, I'll actually just pick the one that I've just finished reading. And it's not directly related to everything we've been talking about, but kind of provides a bigger picture, a bit of a philosophical perspective that always helps guide some thinking around the work that we do. But it's Yuval Noah Harari's Homo Deus which looks at where humans are evolving to and what the priorities will be and what we're at risk of losing as we move to a more technology and data-driven world. He actually starts the book with a recount of the plague and looking at how humans have been able to better deal with disaster over time and also raises concepts like nationalism versus globalism, which we're seeing being discussed in the mainstream at this point in time. And look, he's just got some really interesting insights and I really enjoyed the book. He's certainly an author that's been recommended a few times for his various works, Nina. So thanks for 
giving us that. We'll stick a link through to that book in the article so that the listeners can click on through. But it's been an absolute pleasure to touch base with you today, Nina. Really, really appreciate your generous insights and time and certainly look forward to tracking your journey as you continue forward. Thanks, Tom. It's a pleasure talking with you as always. Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.